You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome together as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those of you who are in the Cross Point Center, let me give a shout out to you. You've got that place packed out. Those of you who are at home or maybe you are traveling and with relatives somewhere else and you're joining us online, it is great for you to join us together today. And it is a wonderful day, isn't it? Amen. Just want to tell you. We did not come to a funeral today. We came to a resurrection party. Because here's what we believe at Scotts Hill. We believe unashamedly that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead. And this is an event today. This is one of the greatest celebrations in all of Christendom. In fact, in all of the world. And it is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is incredibly important to every believer and to the message of the gospel because when Jesus bodily rose from the dead, he validated in one moment that everything he ever said or did is absolutely trustworthy. And that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, it proved that he was exactly who he said he was. And when Jesus rose from the dead bodily, it once and for all gave evidence that God accepted his sacrifice for the redemption of sinners like you and me. And so we rejoice in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then everything about Christianity would fall on its face. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you don't have to have a reason to believe a single word Jesus ever said. If he did not rise from the dead, then the disciples are not dependable. Our preaching is without profit. We are dead in our sins. Sin is still sovereign. Death has dominion. And we are hopeless among all people if Jesus is still in the tomb. But... If Jesus did rise from the dead, then it is game on for Christianity. And here's what we need to understand. Because of his resurrection from the dead, it launched Christianity. His resurrection from the dead launched the church. His resurrection from the dead changed lives. His resurrection from the dead changed the world. Now, let me tell you, before Jesus rose from the dead, there were no believers. There were a lot of disciples, but there were no believers. Because the believers, those disciples, when he was arrested, scattered. When he was crucified, they went into hiding and fear of their life. On the morning of the resurrection, the disciples were not at the tomb with a bunch of candles having a vigil with a countdown for his resurrection. Ten, nine, eight. They were not there. And they knew that Jesus put in a tomb would happen for what every person who's put in a tomb is that they would stay dead. And when they heard that the tomb was empty, they were confused. Why? Because nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, not even his disciples. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead and the tomb was empty, the first thing they thought was somebody stole his body. 
What did they do with his body? Even though Jesus numerous times explained to them that he was going to die, he was going to rise, they could not comprehend it. It wasn't until after his resurrection, it wasn't until after he had appeared to them that these cowardly men became so bold that they turned the world upside down with the message because of the resurrection. And the apostle Paul, who's one of the preeminent Christians in all of the New Testament, captures the message of the resurrection in a very short way. In 1 Corinthians, one of the first letters written in the New Testament, chapter 15, that we call the resurrection chapter, verses 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul paints a picture for us of the resurrection and the whole gospel message. Here's what he says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. These verses are really, really important because these verses help us to clearly understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. Now, here's the struggle. When we come to the issue of the resurrection of Jesus, there are at least three kinds of people in this room today. And they're not just here on Easter Sunday, but they find themselves here regularly. Let me give them to you. There's some here who wonder why others don't believe. You have had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've surrendered your life to him. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You are absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead because your life has been transformed. And in your thinking, you wonder, why can't other people believe? Why is it that it's so hard for people to grasp the truth of the resurrection? And so you're here this morning celebrating and you wonder why others can't. So there are those here who wonder why others can't believe. Then there's a second group. You believe, but you sometimes wonder. You believe in Christ. You've received him as your Lord and your Savior. You have been baptized in the Holy Spirit at conversion. You have been baptized in water baptism, and you even got the shirt. You've got all of it. You believe, yet you've been challenged in your faith. Maybe you have a teacher in high school. Maybe there's a professor in college or somebody that's challenging everything you've ever known about the Bible and they're bringing into question the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now you're beginning to wonder, how do I defend this? So there are those who wonder why others don't believe. There are those who believe but sometimes wonder, but then there's a third one. Some of you wonder how anybody can believe. Some of you are here and you're wondering, how can anybody believe the message of the resurrection? This is 21st century. Come on. People don't die and rise from the dead. How can you believe? And you're here this morning because maybe your parents made you come. You're here this morning because you have a boyfriend and a girlfriend who invited you to come here. Maybe some of you are visiting from out of town and your host said you can't eat lunch today unless you come to church with us. And you're here. 
And some of you just got caught up in the traffic and parked in our parking lot. You don't know where you are. But you're here. And some of you are sitting here with your arms folded, maybe not on the outside, but on the inside, and you're saying, I don't believe all of this stuff. Well, let me just say to you that you're at a good place today. And the reason that you're here is the fact that God has brought you here. For all of these groups, all of us, here's what we need to understand. That Christianity will rise and fall on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the skeptics who are out there, the skeptics who want to destroy Christianity know this, that the legitimacy of Christianity can be destroyed if they can prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead. If we can prove that the body is still in the tomb, or if we can prove that the resurrection did not in fact happen, then we can dismantle all of Christianity. And they're right. And what do they go to? They always go to the same thing. Their greatest illustration is that if we can demonstrate the illegitimacy of Christianity, that the resurrection was a myth, then we can destroy Christianity altogether. And here's how it goes. A myth is something that has happened in successive years of a story being told for so many times over so many decades and so many years until the actual recorded event of it is different from the actual events. So this is how it goes, that they have been telling the story of the resurrection in the church for so long. This, these people told these people, who told these people, who told this generation, who told this generation, and who told this generation. And then 90 years later, it was written down in the Gospels, and everything in the Gospels does not really reflect what actually happened in history. Therefore, it's a myth. And here's what they basically say, that the written accounts were too far removed from the actual events to be accurate accounts of actual events. In other words, you can't really depend on the Gospels because the Gospels were written decades after the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, the resurrection is nothing but a myth. But I'm glad to, you're here today because I want to share something with you that maybe some of you have never heard before. I want to share something with you that your professors in seminary will never share with you. And it may be because they just simply don't know. They're saying that all of the witnesses have died and there are no effective witnesses for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's one piece of evidence that they forget. And there's one piece of evidence that gives them an incredibly difficult time, the Apostle Paul. Why the Apostle Paul? Because the Apostle Paul is the preeminent disciple in the New Testament. He is the most brilliant man who's ever lived in Christianity. And he was the one that was most successful and instrumental in the spreading of the gospel around the world. No reputable scholar would ever debate that. No reputable scholar would ever say that Paul did not live in the first century and he was not the most effective influence in the gospel. Here's what else. No reputable scholar would deny the fact that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. And of the 13 letters that he wrote, all of the letters were written in the 50s and the 60s. 
not the 1950s and the 1960s, the original 50s and the original 60s, 20 to 30 years after the resurrection. And he is attributed with 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. Here's what they are. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. Now, here's the thing. The scholars also know that all of these letters were written in the 50s and 60s. The Apostle Paul is executed in 67 AD by Nero. And so because he's executed in 67, all of the letters that he wrote are only 20 to 30 years removed from the actual event. Now, this is very, very important for you and me. We need to understand the truth of what Paul is saying here. Because when he's pointing these things out, he is telling us very clearly that we know that from these writings, we can prove that the resurrection is not a myth. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your brains in right now. We're gonna do a little study through the context of Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians that we just read because it's one of the first letters written in the New Testament. So if you left your brains at the door, get up and go get them. If you didn't bring them with you, borrow your neighbors. If you do so, that means you're half wits, okay? So, so here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna take what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians and we're going to disprove the fact that the resurrection is a myth. So let's begin. We're gonna use a timeline and keep going back to the timeline. Let's begin the timeline. 30 to 32 AD is when we know that Jesus lived and was executed by, on the cross. No reputable scholar ever debates the fact that Jesus was a historical person, nobody. There used to be a time where people would say, oh no, Jesus really wasn't real. Nobody says that anymore. With the ex extra biblical information that we have, the writings of Josephus and all the others, we know that Jesus was a real person who lived in the first century and who was crucified by Pontius Pilate and the Roman government around 30 to 32 AD. So we know that. That is an established fact. Paul writes 1 Corinthians in 55. So in 55, he pins the letter to the first Corinthians, to the Corinthians. And this is very significant because he's only 23 to 25 years removed from the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, there's something else you need to know. It was in 52 that the apostle Paul was in Corinth and he was preaching the gospel to them. He had already been there before he wrote the letter. And that's why he writes it in past tense. Let's look at that again. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. He goes on. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received. He said, I've delivered this to you. What is he saying? He says, listen, I wrote to you what somebody told me when I told you what I said when I was there. You get it? It's kind of confusing. 
So I wrote to you what was told to me when I was there, what someone said to me that I said to you when I was there for you while being there. (laughs) Sounds like Kamala Harris. I don't know. (laughs) But the point of it is, the point of it is he's saying this, I didn't make it up. I didn't make up the reality of the resurrection. I told you what was told me. What was it that he said? Here's what he said. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried. No reputable scholar questions that Jesus was crucified. They all believe that he died and that he was buried because that's what you do with people who die. Roman were were professionals at execution. And they knew Jesus was dead. Then he goes on, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, here comes the debate. Well, most scholars will say, yeah, we believe he lived, we believe he died, we believe he was buried, but we don't believe he was raised from the dead. And the reason is because it was too far removed from the actual event. This is 20 years The interesting thing about human nature is we can remember things for a long time. And you can remember in vivid details of things in your life 20 years ago. And there are a lot of things that you can recall and you can know that they're accurate. Matter of fact, let's take a little test right now. I'm gonna do a jingle, I'm gonna begin it, and you're gonna finish it, okay? This first one is for the older generation. You ready? Let's go. Here's a jingle. You finish it. I start it, you finish. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Some of you are singing it. Wow. (laughs) What was that for? Alka-Seltzer. How many of you younger people don't know what we're talking about? (laughs) Most of them here. No idea. So you know when that was written? 47 years ago. And the guy who was acting in that commercial was the unknown Morgan Freeman at that point. Okay, here's another one. This is a little bit uh, a little bit closer in time. Ready? I am stuck on a Band-Aid. That was written 46 years ago by a struggling musician by the name of Barry Manilow. Oh, let's get a little bit more modern, okay? I'm going to do this song and you finish it, okay? It's a very, it was a very popular song. Who let the dogs out? You scare me, brother. (laughs) The point is this. We remember in detail way beyond 20 years ago. That was 23 years ago. And who can remember September 11th, 2001? You remember exactly what you were doing on 9-11, don't you? You know where you were. You know what you felt. You know the emotions. Every single thing that happened on that day you won't forget. And that was 22 years ago. It's amazing. And so this whole argument that says, no, if it's 20 years removed, you will never be able to remember it. The most significant event in all of Palestine was the death and the burial and the resurrection of the perfect son of God. And those people never forgot it but there's more. There is more. Here's what's more. That even though we've talked about 
Jesus dying in 32. Paul writes in 55. In 52, he is there preaching to them. But here's the great news. In 44, Paul is already preaching the gospel. As early as 44, 12 years removed from the message of the the resurrection, Paul is preaching. He's in Antioch. He's in Cyprus. And what is he doing? He's declaring Christ died, buried, and was raised from the dead 12 years after the resurrection. But there's more. There's even more. I love what he writes in 1 Corinthians. He says this, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. And then he appeared to the 12. What what Garrett was reading about earlier. Cephas is Peter. He appears to Peter and then he appears to the 12. How does Paul know about this? Well, in Galatians chapter one, verse 18, he tells us, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem with Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Let's go back to the timeline. When did that happen? He is preaching in Antioch in 44. When did he meet? 40. Eight years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is Paul meeting with Peter. For 15 days, he's interviewing Peter. Now, what do you think they were talking about? Do you think they were talking about, hey, Peter, tell me, what's your favorite fishing lure? Hey, Peter, tell me, what's what's your biggest catch you ever made? No. He's talking, he says, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about seeing him. Tell me about how he appeared to you. Tell me all the things that you felt. Tell me what he said. I want to know firsthand exactly about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he spends 15 days with Peter getting a verbal eyewitness account. But that's not all. You know who else was there? James was there. But I saw none other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Remember, James did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. It wasn't until after the resurrection that James, the half-brother of Jesus, believed. Now, can you imagine Paul questioning James? James, man, just tell me, what was it like growing up with Jesus? Oh, man, it was tough. Mom and dad were always saying, why can't you just be like your older brother? And I'd say, well, he's so perfect. And mom would say, well, as a matter of fact, he is. And I mean, and can you imagine him talking about every bit of that? So in 48 years from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he's getting eyewitness accounts, but there is more. You might say, how can there possibly be more? Let's go back to the timeline. He writes in 55 to the Corinthians. He preaches to them in 52. In 44, he's in Antioch. At 40, he is meeting with Peter and James. And then at 37 is where he gives his life to Christ. Five to seven years after the resurrection. That's amazing. Five to seven years after the resurrection, Paul surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. But there's more. And what is more? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. No longer is Paul saying that the resurrection is based upon the story that somebody told me. It is based upon the reality that I came face to face with the risen Savior of the world. 
He himself is an eyewitness. But there's more. There's more. What you don't understand is this. What Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and following, is what was considered to be an early Christian creed. In other words, this was something that, that they wrote carefully to help them to remember the truths of an event. A creed was something that they put together with careful words and careful writing, and they did it so people can accurately and easily remember an event and make sure that the dates and the, the issues of that event are secure. That's what we do. We do that with our kids who can't read. We teach them the ABCs. You know A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs, soon I'll be a PhD. Something like that, you know. <laughs> so we teach them that. It is believed that what Paul wrote was an early creed that the church wrote shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. It goes something like this. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Repeat that with me. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. One more time. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. This was going around the early church weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ knew from the very beginning that he died, he was buried, he rose, and people who were still alive are testifying about seeing the risen Savior. Pretty impressive, huh? But there's more. One more. Here it is. A changed life. Paul's life was a testimony that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul hated Christianity. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated Jesus. Many scholars believe that Paul may have been one of the young Jewish religious experts that even debated Jesus when he preached. And Paul so hated him that he became a spiritual terrorist to the church. And then he goes on in verse 10 and says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. In other words, listen, this is who I was. But in the midst of my sin and my hatred for Jesus, he came to me. He changed me. He loved me. He died for me. He rose for me, and he appeared to me. And from that point on, every single scholar without a bait knows that he spent the rest of his life defending and preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it got him in trouble. He was beaten. He was stoned and left for dead. He was thrown into prisons. He was tortured. And he ultimately was executed for that which he could not deny was absolutely true, that Jesus Christ is alive. 
He's alive. You see, the thing is this. When you look at the life of Paul and you look at that one letter, it completely destroys the argument that the resurrection is a myth. Thomas Arnold, who is a famous um, archaeologist and historian from Oxford, wrote this. The evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up an important case. I have myself done it many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I weigh the evidence of those who have written about them, and I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved by fuller evidence than the great sign that God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Now, if Christ died and he rose again from the dead then every single thing he has ever said is true. Everything he has ever done can be validated and that he is exactly who he said he is. That he is the savior of the world. That he is the only one who can take your sin. You see, you can sin against me and I can forgive you, but if you sin against God, I cannot forgive you. Only God can do that. And Jesus came and died so that you can be forgiven. So as I said at the beginning, there are three kinds of people in this room. There are those who wonder how others cannot believe. You are absolutely convinced of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of your life. But here's the question I would ask you. Why do you think other people cannot believe? It ultimately begins with the Holy Spirit doing a work in people's lives and convincing them of the truth of the gospel. But let me tell you another part of it is, it is believers living in such a way that when the world looks at their life, they cannot deny a risen Savior who is in them. Many times we wonder why other people can't believe. And it may be because they can never see Jesus in us. And there's a call for us as children and sons and daughters of God to live in such a way that it is indisputable that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed my life. Some of you are here today and you believe, but you sometimes wonder. And what you've heard today is absolute evidence that it is no myth. So what is God calling you to do? He's calling you to, by faith, trust him. It is not a blind faith. It's not when you check your brains at the door, but it's the opposite. It's when you begin to examine and study and look at the scriptures and come to the realization that this is true. And if it is true, then no one can shake your faith or dissuade you or deconstruct what you believe. Stand in it. And then there's some here this morning, you wonder how anyone could believe. And I would say to you, my friend, that the evidence is there. Don't listen to what culture tells you. Don't listen to what skeptics tell you. 
Go and listen to what God's word says to you. And study the history, study the reality of it. But you come to the realization that I cannot deny this. And if I cannot deny this, I either just simply accept this with a mental assent that doesn't change my life, or I come to the place where I surrender my heart to the one who is absolutely true and who is alive and who is here today saying to you this. I've done for you. This, I've died for you. You can go and look at all the intellectual arguments and come to a conclusion, but until you surrender your heart to me in faith, you will still be as empty with the knowledge as you were without it. It is Christ, and he came for you, and he came for me. So this is where we find ourselves. Where's your heart today? As we continue to celebrate during this Easter Sunday, can we stand in absolute assurance and walk and say, he is my savior and I'm unashamedly committed to the truth of the resurrection because he has changed my life. And now Lord Jesus, use me as a catalyst in the lives of others that they might see the truth. If you're here this morning without Christ, there's a call from Jesus to say, I stand before you. I am knocking at your door. There is no one who will ever, ever disprove my resurrection. But I am here to give you new life that you might join me in a resurrected body one day. We're going to pray. Then after we pray, the band's going to come, and we're going to sing a song, which is a, a, a declaration that of all the names, there's only one name that's higher than all the others. And there's one truth in the reality that Jesus is alive. Would you stand together? I'll close this in a word of prayer, and then we will sing. Father, we thank you that we can rest firmly on the truth of your word, Father, firmly on the truth of a risen Savior, and Father, firmly on the truth that Jesus is alive. And Father, as we spend time this morning continuing to celebrate by singing, may you join our hearts together in a great joy and a confidence that can never be shaken. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.